is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. Uh, I am your host this time around. My name is Ben Hansen, and I'm joined by one Jeffrey Cork. Here I am. Look at him one go. One Jeffrey Cork. <laughs> All right. So in this episode, we're going to be covering episodes 16 through 20 from the fifth season of the Twilight Zone, uh, nearing the middle of the last season. I here. think we can safely say that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're starting out with an episode called The Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross. Boy, that title sucked me right in. Man. Said, who is Salvador Ross? Every time they try and shoehorn somebody's name into an episode title like Jeff Myrtlebank mm-hmm. or Rance McGrew, it always sucks. It's always the worst title, and this does not help. The no. Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross. Yeah. Okay. So, opens with a convertible, which is very similar to the convertible from the beginning of Rance McGrew. Yeah. In the old Wild West town and whatnot. Okay, so it's this guy. He's always looking really stern. He's always a little bit angry about everything, right? Yes. And he's in love with this lady, and he really wants to date her. Her it's name's Leah. Leah, sure. And he keeps asking her out, uh, and she says she can't because she has to go play chess with her dad. It's the worst excuse. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, so She's a social worker. Yeah. She's he's a self-confessed crumb. Yeah, he ain't great. And so she slams the door in his face, says, no way, Salvador Ross. And he starts banging on the door, uh, screaming, oh, why can't I want something in my life and get it? Bah! And he bangs on the door so hard that he breaks his hand. Yep. So then <laughs> the episode goes on, and he's in the emergency room. And this is where things get confusing and weird and theoretically it's interesting. A, it was a different era. It was a different era. Medical so, care. Yeah. So he is in this emergency room next to a guy who has the worst fake cough I've ever heard in my Let's life. Let's back up for just a second. Sure. He's broken his hand, yeah. but he has to do a sleepover at the hospital right? because the doctor can't look at his x-ray until the morning. Sure. So they want to be safe, yeah. So he has to sleep <laughs> sleep overnight at the hospital for a broken hand. It seems super dumb. It only gets dumber. So he's next to a guy with pneumonia, and he's like, oh, you know, it doesn't seem so bad for you, pneumonia, but us old guys, like this guy is, uh, he could die from this thing and whatnot. And so... He's joking around with this guy who has pneumonia and is constantly coughing. Mm -hmm. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I think all that goes down here is he makes the claim that, boy, we should switch. Let's switch ailments. Let's swap. Because I'm young and I can totally take that cold, and I'm sure you wouldn't mind having a broken hand. It's a total swap opportunity. He could not let it pass him by. And so then he says, all right, good night, and goes to sleep. And the old guy winks. Oh, is that it? Oh, I missed that. Maybe that's what kicked off this whole thing. could be. The magic wink. There's a little musical flourish. So then he wakes up with a cough. Right. And he notices things are a little bit weird. And then he goes over to the other man Mm -hmm. because he also notices that his hand is better at the same time, right? Yep. And the old man sleeping there, he's like, the skin's kind of rubbed off his knuckles. Yeah. Like he broke his hand. And in his sleep, he's tossing and turning and going, oh, my hand. Something's <laughs> wrong with my hand. Like before he even opened his <laughs> eyes, he's just complaining about his freaking hand. And so uh, they wake up and they acknowledge the fact that, oh, our ailments have swapped. All right, well, I'll see you later. <laughs> Gotta go. There's no conversation about like normally all the twilight zone is are people being like there has to be some rational explanation for this we need to figure this out this episode there's none of it no this guy knows immediately what he needs to do next like he doesn't even think about it. he's like up hand is better that'll happen right now it's time to make money off this thing exactly 
So he goes to his boss. Uh, or is it his boss? Is the guy who's convertible he was using earlier? Yeah. I'm confused about that relationship. He's an old guy, old old rich dude that he knows somehow, right? And he goes there, and he tries to make a deal with them so that he could get a million dollars if he swaps bodies with this guy. So this old guy can be young again by taking his youth. Yeah, they're not really swapping bodies. He's just taking some years. He's like, you could be 26 again, yeah, and I'll be old. Because at first it took me a while to get into the rhythm of what was going on because I I thought it was like a Freaky Friday thing in the hospital at first. He is very confident that apparently that is not the case and that anybody can swap. But then he just just knows he has this gift. He's like, a million bucks in this pad. You got it. And old guy's like, get out of here. Okay, sure. If he was an X-Men, he'd be the worst X-Men of all time because it's like his power is trading intangible goods like yeah. it is the most confusing <laughs> thing but he knows exactly what's going on yeah so he tries to trade with this old guy the old guy totally takes a deal so now our hero yes uh has a million dollars but he's old he's in the the same swing and pad that the old right. guy was in right right and this old guy is never seen again he's off and running yeah he's and, on a cruise right and so like a bellboy comes up and uh this is the part that i was trying to figure out do you think that he regretted making that deal? Oh, immediately. Okay. I, well, I he, sure. he regretted parts of it, but okay. I think he knew what he had like a long game. Yeah, that. that's the thing is I don't know if this long game was invented on the spot, but he then tries to trade not all of the years to this kid for money, mm-hmm. but he just wants one year. And he's like, how old are you, kid? And he's like, 19. Yep. And he's like, all right, what if tomorrow you just woke up, woke up and you were 20? There's no difference. I'll give you $200. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that for all. The crown jewels in a bucket. That's right. <laughs> he's, he's like, again, no, like, what are you talking about? He's just immediately like, nope, no way. But then he's like, what about $1,000? And all it's going to do is just uh, subtract a year. Oh, he and writes he, the check. Right, right. $1,000 and the kid is immediately like, I would like to be 20 now. <laughs> and I will tell my friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, tell your friends. And then there's this great shot as the closer before the commercial break, break, uh, break where he just goes, I'll be here, Albert. And then he takes like a huge swig of his booze and then like it zooms in on his face. Like, dun, yep. dun, 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 dun. It's really dumb. So that's the thing is I didn't know if this guy, his whole plan is just to go around and find so many young kids mm-hmm. and constantly make that really annoying deal. Because if he makes the deal 50 times, 40 times, mm-hmm. always for a thousand bucks, he's still going to be in the black because he got a million dollars. Right. But again, I don't know how much of this he's just adding on after the fact when he realizes that he doesn't want to be old. So he just has to find a really dumb guy. Yeah, exactly. Like him, himself. Exactly. But he does find one dumb guy in my favorite shot of this whole thing. So what he ends up doing is he is in an elevator and he goes in the elevator with this kid. And I think this is like a musical montage. I don't think there's any words spoken here. And the elevator is closed. So he says, you're new here. Right. To the elevator. Perfect. Perfect. Elevator goes up or down or whatever. Elevator doors open again, and then he's young again, and mm-hmm. the kid's old. It's the best shot of yeah. maybe this entire block. Ooh, actually, I thought of one better. But okay. it was a really, really cool sequence. So the entire goal here is he's trying to get wealthy so that he can win the love of Leah. Right, because Leah's dad, she's not into him, and Leah's dad in particular is just kind of like, you're not great. But at the same time, he's like, it's up to you, Leah. It's not my decision to make. Right. Whether or not, I approve. But This guy's going Ugh. around in a wheelchair, and so... Our hero is not a great guy, and he goes over, and there's this fantastic sequence where he's making fun of the father. Yes. For 
being a teacher his entire life and then also how he was a veteran and like he came back from the war and did nothing yeah, except for teach this guy's <laughs> a veteran who lost his legs probably yeah. in the freaking war yeah, goes is- on to teach the rest of his life and this guy is still making fun of him yeah he said you know what do you have that's so great you're a loser because you came back with a, a game leg and a bunch of guns <laughs> right right so he's making fun of the the father and then like the father comes back talking about his daughter and he's like well do you love her and the guy has a great line where he just goes i want her yes <laughs> he does not love her no. he just wants her that's all he cares about and then yeah leah comes in and she's like why sal you look good and you sound different this is yeah this, yeah. this little reference is pretty cool so he paid a guy to get his uh vocal patterns or yeah college so he- kid to improve his speaker so right yeah. now there's some kid in college who just sounds like a thug all of a sudden <laughs> yeah because he started out talking like a real crumwad and now he's very articulate in the <laughs> way he's talking crumwad. right oh, was that a word sure so he asked the daughter out again she is super super excited about it this time because mm-hmm. he's well dressed he's apparently rich he doesn't show it off too much mm-hmm. um and she is immediately in love uh and super excited the father's kind of deals with it and then yeah jump cut to them making out um so then is she still not impressed with them is that what's going on here yeah he's still just not right for her right right and he's trying to argue with it and he's like you tell me what kind of guy is right for you and i'll be that guy mm-hmm. and it's like a, it's just a nice magical twist on the story yeah. of you know a rich guy trying to buy a lady everything yeah, except says, in this I, case he's trying to trade for anything that he might be lacking i can be and buy anything i want right and then that's right. when she counters with like are you gentle or are you kind right the man i need to be needs to be compassionate right like your stupid old man Bing. Yeah. So then exactly. he goes to the old man and offers him a hundred thousand, which is pretty cheap. He's, I mean, he's a, he has a lot of money left over. He's got a million yeah. bucks. He might have spent a couple bucks on the elevator kid, mm-hmm. but not, certainly not that much. So he offers the father a thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, and you learned out you learn later that he basically bought his father's or the father's compassion. Right. So now he is theoretically the perfect man. And so then he goes out on, in the town with the lady, mm-hmm. comes back home, walks in the door, and the father is very angry. And there's an interesting moment where Leah is like running up to her room or whatever, and she's like, oh, I love you. And he doesn't say I love you back mm-hmm. when it should be him saying I love you back because he learned compassion from the father. Like everything is going according to plan. He has the father's compassion. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he say I love you back? Is it like trying to hint that there's still something not quite there, you know? I don't know. Okay. Maybe he didn't buy the ability to love. That's, <laughs> Just compassion but no love. Yeah. So then uh, he's in the he's in the downstairs area with the father. And then, of course, the twist happens, which I didn't see coming. And I'm pretty happy with it. But because he well, traded well, for the father. At, he oh, yeah, apologizes to the dad. And he yeah. says, I'm sorry I treated Leo like a prize. You know. You know, he's a sweetheart now, yeah, a little bit. And then the dad is like, I warned you I wouldn't let this happen. And then Sal's like, Show some compassion. Don't you remember? I sold it to you. And then whips out a gun and just shoots him and shoots Bam! him dead in the living room. Now it's funny because before that, as like the, the father kind of wheels into the, the street, you know, yeah. as he's helping uh, Lee out of the car and being a gentleman. And there's this weird shot of his dad, like, fiddling around in his yes. lap under the blanket he like it's just it's 
really yeah i caught that too like he just like slides his hands under his blanket into his lap and he's like what is going on what here? is going yeah it was I and didn't maybe know he was going. just feeling a gun the entire just, time that's must have been what was going on i hope yeah i so. hope that they actually had the forethought and it wasn't just him being a weirdo and then they add the gun after the fact they were like oh god we gotta we can't reshoot this <laughs> in any way so it's funny because you watch these episodes or a lot of these episodes in the office right behind me because you sit right behind me yes <laughs> just in the middle of the work day uh but I kept looking over there, and during this episode in particular, I was like, oh, God, it's a modern-day episode. This looks boring as hell. <laughs> it's just like there's some guy running around with some girl. But it's amazing like when you watch this without the audio, how you don't pick up on anything. And I actually, in the end, I think it is an interesting episode. Mm-hmm. I Even though, I mean, it has its pros and cons for not explaining at all what is going on here. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting idea, just a guy trying to improve himself. God, I'm trying to remember. There's another Twilight Zone episode that I really liked about a guy trying to improve his own life. Yeah, but I like the idea of this self-improvement with a magical twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, of getting shot. <laughs> getting shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he should have just rephrased that, like, I would like to be a little more compassionate. Right. I would just like to have a little bit of love for your daughter, but I don't want to lose the will to not shoot people. Yep. I think and he should have, like, talked to a mailbox, and I would like your bulletproof properties. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing, too. Like, I thought in the beginning they would have to sleep on it, you know, it's like the stroke of midnight type thing because that's the first wink. exchange. But like, yeah, how quickly does it happen? It can happen in an elevator. Do you have to shake hands? There's no, it's just this vague idea of at some point you will swap mm-hmm. this vague concept that you, I guess, agree upon. Is this upon. like a, a piano in the in the house yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, but I, I like this idea much more okay. than dumb piano in the house. <laughs> God, that's a dumb episode. Uh, so I ended up giving this one a six. I gave it a seven. I like this Okay. One. Yeah. All right. It's an interesting idea. It was pretty fun. Cool. I like watching people get shot in the gut. <laughs> there you go. So next up is number 12, Looks Just Like You. God, what a good title. It's a good title. So it starts off, and we're presumably in the future because it's a super weird-looking room. Right. With like a translucent, like a transparent table, and chairs look super weird, and everyone's kind of dressed like in leotard tops. And it's like they're looking at a monitor, but it's not a monitor. It's just a giant thing Just overhanging. in the back. Yeah, there's these two pictures of women. Right. The woman with Lana written yeah. on her shirt saying she can't decide between number eight or 12. And the daughter, she's looking at a photo album. And you learn that the photo album that she's looking at has pictures of her mom before the transformation. Uh-huh. And it ain't great. Pretty, pretty <laughs> normal looking lady, uh-huh. you know. Compared to the dazzling beauty that, right. that Lana is now. So it's right. kind of like, what's going on here? So then the daughter is, uh, her name's Marilyn. She asks, well, this transformation is optional, right? And then, eh, they kind of gloss over that, right? <laughs> so this is, I'll, I'll just say this right now. One of the things I really like about this episode is uh-huh. it just kind of doles out details very slowly. So about you, the society that they live in? Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. The mom... So, you know, she buzzes in and says, well, we should get a couple, you know, let's get a glass of instant smile. And the maid comes in and she's wearing this like translucent hoop skirt. Yeah, really thing. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So they get a, two glasses of instant smile and the daughter's really not into it. And, and then she, Rod Serling comes in. And well, hang on. There's a what? weird moment where the, the maid's walking out, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the mom's like, say my name. Lana, mm-hmm. you need to get good at that. And then the maid's like, okay. And then she walks out. And then there's this awkward turn where she goes, 
Lana. <laughs> and then Whip Panda Rod Serling. Yeah. Yes. And then he basically says, for lack of a better estimate, let's call this the year 2000. Right. It may not happen tomorrow, but it happens now in yep. the Twilight Zone. Exactly. So we start with this guy creeping up on Marilyn wearing a cape. Yeah. And we learn it's Uncle Rick. He surprises her. And he's wearing like a ballerina costume ever- underneath <laughs> his cape. Yeah, yeah. The costume design in the year 2000 really sucks. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, this is. Do you think this is the most futuristic episode so far that they've just completely blown? Where it just is the most ridiculous. I'm trying to think of like, like as far as costuming goes. Yeah, and just overall world. Like I, I kind of like the society they've built up, but I guess just costumes because they also go on to talk about electronic football, electronic uh, baseball, and super soccer. Mm-hmm. It's like it's very, very crappy sci-fi. Yeah, this is probably, it, it looks like a Jetsons cartoon yeah. brought to life. Yes, And yes. then you realize, oh, that, that's why people never did that in the Because <laughs> it looks pretty weird. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, Uncle Rick is consoling Marilyn, who's like super depressed. He's right. like, you're not ugly, you're just different. And uh, they talk about her father was a number 17 model. And, Which is what Uncle Rick is, yeah. Right. And she says, you know, I just want to frown and feel sad. And Uncle Rick is like, oh, you're a very sick girl. So then... We cut to Val and Marilyn. Val is uh, Marilyn's friend. Uh-huh. They're hanging out, and Val is transformed, but Marilyn says, well, I liked you even before the transformation, too. And then she's like, Valerie, please help me. This is a really weird episode to describe, <laughs> as I'm realizing, because it's just like a series of these short little vignettes almost. Right. So then we go to uh doctor's office, and Lana and Marilyn are meeting with Rex, the doctor for a consultation. Also and model 17. Another model 17. God, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. And Marilyn is 18 right now and Rex is like, oh, you should be rece- receiving notice about the transformation soon. Marilyn's like, oh, well, about that. And then Rex kind of cuts her off. Is like, oh, you know, it's actually our fault for not explaining to kids why kids have to wait until they're 19 for the transformation. Uh-huh. Why should they have to suffer in their awful bodies and all this stuff? Right, right. Basically says, in short... Uh, Lana, Marilyn is tired of being a monster. <laughs> and you learn, well, it's not mandatory, this transformation. Uh-huh. And they still haven't really, they've got to... They dance around dance it. Dance yeah. around it, yeah, yeah. This transformation is not mandatory, but it's basically considered normal now. So you're going to want to do that. Right. It seems like everybody that we run into is one of only a few models, yes. which is interesting. Like, do they only have two dozen bodies for people to choose from? Because everyone seems yeah. to just be in love with this model... Eight and yeah. model 17 exactly for one through 16 are just abysmal <laughs> yeah and Marilyn's like nope i don't want to transform and then rex is like can i conduct an experiment just for my own records and he puts on a uh like a pyrex bowl with a right. wire of course on her head uh and that's attached in turn to a theremin and it makes a bunch <laughs> of weird sounds and then this tiny little slip of fortune cookie thing comes out, and he's, like, examining it It's like a piece seriously. of tape that you can see through, yeah, and it has all of her mental <sighs> readouts on it. And then he's like, well, what triggered it? And Mar- and Lana's like, well, my husband died in the Ganymede incident. He was a number 17, just uh-huh. like Rex. They learned that Dad didn't actually exactly say the transformation was bad, just that it was tragic. And then Lana jumps in, and is like, he had nonconformist views, but he tested very highly on the pilot's thing, and he was really great. So you find there's a little bit of like weird stuff going on with that. Yeah, and there's an interesting part where she's talking about, you know, how smart her father is and how he was trying to get her into special books and stuff like that, uh smart person books. Uh and then like the doctor comes over and he's like, "Now, now." He's like trying to console her. Mm-hmm. And it's that weird one where he's like, 
your father was a very handsome man. Like that's his <laughs> go-to. It's like, yeah, yeah. But still, like the only thing that matters in the society, he was really good at. So don't worry about his mental stability. Yada, right. Yada. So then Marilyn is wondering, well, why can't I make up my own mind? And you can't make me do this, can you? No. And then Rex is like, well, no one's ever been forced, but we'll find out why you don't want this and correct it. Right. So. We will readjust your brain until you want the surgery. So then this is where it gets bizarre. Yeah. And they bring them to this other area of the room it's of super, the whole hospital, like this consulting room. It's super dark. Guy with his back to the camera and he talks and like, if you were going to impersonate like a German psychoanalyst. Sigmund Freud, basically. Like he's, he's Dr. Sig yes, as well. Exactly. It's subtle. And it has the worst lighting of all time in this Oof. room. It's like, I don't know if they're trying to be ominous, but just mm-hmm. like weird, ugly shadows all over his face. Oh, yeah. Like, is this the way it's normally lit? Or is this only the lighting when people come in that he has to like correct the mental state of? Exactly. And he's Very got this confusing. really awesome pendant of an ink, ink blot test. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's it's real huge. cool. Well, it's kind of a fun twist. We probably talk about it in this episode as well. Uh, it's fun how every male in this entire episode, I do believe, is a number 17. Yes. So they all look identical. They all have mm-hmm. the dumb name tags on the front, so you can kind of tell them apart. But you can tell that they had to come up with some other reason for separating them for the audience's clarification. And so everybody kind of has their unique twist, right? So this doctor has the weird German accent. Mm-hmm. The main doctor is always doing like a Dr. Evil thing where he's yeah, kind of like flirty and then like, mouth. yeah, the pinky in the mouth type thing. Yeah. yeah. And then another one we see later that's pretty quick, but... Uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, they start talking about the transformation a little bit and you learn that it, the stuff behind this is that the uh, ugliness, physical ugliness was behind most of man's conflict. Yeah. So he basically calls her ugly and then he's saying that this transformation by, you know, moving your consciousness into another body of your choosing uh, prolongs your life to two or three times longer. And then she's like, I will never do it. And Father said without ugliness, there can be no beauty. That type of thing. And then she starts dropping some like knowledge bomb saying, you ever read, you know, Keats or Shakespeare? Right, and all this right. Stuff. Those books were banned. The Sig says, you know, where did you find them? And then she's like, my father. And... So anyway, they drag her into a room <laughs> and uh, they say they need, she needs to stay there until they, they decide what's best for her. Right. And then Lana and Val visit Marilyn and she's resting and she has the number eight uh-huh. on her shirt as she's lying down and Val wants to talk alone and they kind of come out, they talk about like, why is, why is Marilyn so hung up on dad? And then you find out. In the future, people live so long, so they get married a lot. And she's like, you'll have plenty of other dads. And then... Right. She's like, oh, yeah, your mother's been married, or my mother's been married 11 different times. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. And then also, you... I mean, think about how easy it would be to cheat on your wife in this future. You just have to wear a different shirt, and <laughs> no one could tell the difference. Exactly. Put a yeah. cape on your leotard. <laughs> so then you find out her dad didn't die in the Ganymede incident. He killed himself after the transformation because right. he said he had no reason to live. Right, right. And then Val says, well, life is good. And... Oh, hang on. I got it. Oh, I got you have it. the little rhyme? <clears throat> I have it there written down here, Cork. Life is pretty. Mm-hmm. Life is fun. I am all, mm-hmm. and all is one. Which I think eventually morphed into the Transformers motto. <laughs> exactly. So that does not help Marilyn. She just completely freaks out and like rips the number off of her shirt and like holds it against her chest. Yeah. And then next thing you know, she's sneaking out, eye of the beholder style, down the hallways. And then yeah. she, that's when she runs into people who look like 
like number 17. She sees someone that looks like her mom. I really, yeah, I really like this moment because, yeah, she's escaping basically the set from the long morrow, uh, the long dark corridor, right? And she's running and she runs into this other doctor wheeling somebody on like a, I don't know, what do you call that? A gurney? Like a gurney, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, yeah. And she looks up at the doctor and it's another number 17, except his name is like Rex or something, mm-hmm. some crap. Uh, and then she looks down and the, like the lady slowly rotates and looks at her. But what's cool is that those are her parents. Like that's what her parents mm-hmm. look like. That's the way she remembers them. Right. Except these are just random strangers mm-hmm. while she's having this crazy conflict within herself. And she finally runs into a door and it's these people that have just obviously been expecting her. And they're like, here you go. They take the number out of her hand right. and say, ah, oh, she chose number eight. And there's this you know, translucent table and then this weird dome thing lowers onto it. And then we see Lana and Val in a hallway talking to Rex. And then Marilyn runs down the hall and she looks exactly like Val. She's picked the number eight. And she's super happy. Super happy. And yeah. she's like, and the nicest part of all, Val, I look just like you. And then there's a creepy smile into the camera. And then the she's just ends. like looking at herself in the mirror oh, and yeah. posing and stuff. And Sterling it's like, says, portrait of a young lady in love with herself. Wow. <laughs> it all ends on a light but dark note. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess everybody's happier. So I thought where this episode was going... Because like like you said earlier, like they're slowly dripping out the idea that like this society is much more twisted. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know a reflection of modifying yourself, which is actually interesting because in Sterling's ending narration as well, he talks about how society in America is also obsessed with corrective surgery and stuff. So right, I'd imagine he'd kill himself if he were alive today. But we're uh, trimming those eyebrows. <laughs> so as the episode goes on, I was more and more convinced that it was going to be an alien invasion story, and that the big rush to get her to assimilate was that like. All these other people that started this transformation were aliens, and then they got the surgery to make them look human. I thought that's where it was going, where it's like if mm. everyone looks the same, they can all kind of mix in and won't be able to be singled out. But Twilight Zone would never deal with aliens that look like humans. That just sounds like it's a, a completely absurd concept. <laughs> preposterous. So, what do you think about this episode? I gave this one an eight. I really wow. like this. There we go. It's great. I, I, I gave this one a seven. I liked it a lot too. It's interesting that like it is so much of Eye the Beholder. But mm-hmm. it turns out that the themes and the ideas in either Beholder are so good that even if you're like, you know, ringing a lemon based on the <laughs> leftovers from that episode, you still have a lot of really fun concepts to work with. Yeah. This is like reverse Eye of the Beholder kind of, but yeah, more yeah. insidious because you actually get to see like right. what society's like rather than just like the little pig guy on the TV. I guess so. But then yeah, she's running around the hallway. But I mean, they also... Maybe I need to go back and watch Eye of the Beholder again, but I feel like they just kind of take the themes from Eye of the Beholder, like, oh, beauty is subjective, that type of thing, mm-hmm. and they really just debate it in this episode. Yeah. There's, like, long stretches where it's just talking about, oh, if everyone's pretty, no one can be, that type of thing. I'd be curious to see if this one uh-huh. were an hour long, if it had more time to breathe, if it would be, like, an even better episode, or if it would just kind of... I don't... I can't imagine. On. I mean, the only cool shot that they could do, well, not the only one... But it'd be cool to see outside, of course, and see, like, sidewalks filled with number 17s. Mm. But I don't think Twilight Zone could pull that off too well because no. we've tried that before with that guy that makes everybody look like himself. Pretty why, don't good. You, why don't you talk about black leather jackets? Black leather jackets. All right. Black leather jackets opens up with just a great shot of three guys on a motorcycle wearing cool jackets and freaking ridiculous sunglasses. And awesome jazz music. And awesome jazz music. And the sunglasses actually look like the sunglasses 
from the weird camp in the man in the machine or the man in the mountain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that whole thing. Yep. The guy with the weird sunglasses. And so it was just three guys coming in, buying a house, moving out there. Uh, it's a really cool sequence because they... It really works well. They, yeah. they park and walk into a real estate agency and the next shot is them like riding by a home uh -huh. with the same... It's R.C. Jones is the name of the, the realtor. Right, right. There's a young girl next door that sees them and is immediately infatuated. Right, but there's like a sign on the lawn with the same thing. They park, yep. take the sign inside. Yep, It's just yep. like one continuous... And then, I mean, yeah, the music's going throughout all this and these guys are just the dumbest things without even saying a word. They're uh, so cool. Yeah, they think that they're so cool, right? And so then there's movers in there as well, secondary movers, and they're helping them drop off all their equipment. It's a lot of weird box stuff. And then one of the movers is like, hey, why is there no furniture in here? And then uh, the guy's like, I said that's it. And the mover's like, okay, Mac, all right there. <laughs> and he runs out, and then they reveal that these bikers basically have the force, and they're like opening windows and moving crap around this house by pointing around. And squinting. And doing a lot of squinting. And it always has this like rapid zoom into their face whenever mm -hmm. they're controlling something with their mind, right? And then it's Serlin. Yep. Serling explaining like, well, we'll call them Steve, Scott, and Fred. Their names are not important, but their mission is. Yes. This is the Twilight Zone. Yep. This is the strongest opening, like pre-Serling block, I think, of the entire Twilight Zone run that I've it's seen It's fantastic. So far. I, I would put it up there with, um, what's the boxing one? Oh, uh, Real Steel. Not Real Steel. Uh, Steel. <laughs> Steel. Yeah. I say I think Steel has a really awesome intro, too, before okay. Sterling. All right. Sterling. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you can't help it. Roger Sterling. Um, yeah. No, I'm totally with you. But I was completely hooked on this episode from the beginning. It's like, well, we have weirdo bikers with crazy powers. We have awesome jazz music. Everything looks stupid. Some wacky stuff's going to happen. And then the episode starts. So, <laughs> so it comes back from commercial, and it's the neighbors. Stu. All right, I don't, I don't give a crap about their names, right? So I'm it's, a huge fan. All right, so it's the the house next door. Mm -hmm. It's you know mom and pop, and then the hot young daughter, right? Ellen. Yeah, thank you. And so the mom and pop are watching TV and just losing their s at this yeah. like dumb cartoony. It's music. like a doll's face, it's, and the reception is just the reception goes to crap. Yeah. And so then they're trying to figure out why, and they look up on the neighbor's roof, and they see this huge antenna. This is the best part, and the so, rant. <laughs> and so the father gets very frustrated, and he thinks that they're ham radio operators. Just our luck. Ham yeah. radio operators. You know what they do with reception. <laughs> the thing. And so then he runs over to their house, uh, knocks on the door, and says, now you fellas aren't ham radio operators, are you? Yeah, because he wants to make sure they have a license to operate it. Yeah, license for him, right? So the bikers immediately start calling him Big Daddy, which right. in the Unified Twilight Zone uh, universe, it could be like the young wife, mm -hmm. the Big Daddy connection there. Uh, so they're calling him Big Daddy, and then they immediately start joking about being from space, and like, ah, we're going to shoot you with a ray gun, take me to your leader, right? Then they like form a triangle, and yeah. he's in the middle, and just start pushing him around. Yeah, these guys are real dicks. Also, they're the worst secret aliens of all time. <laughs> just the first thing they do is joke around about like, what, you think we're aliens or something? Come yeah. on, hey, ham radio, what? Uh, so then, one of the guys basically uses the force manipulate powers and convinces the father like there's nothing wrong here go home and so the father starts to walk out of the house and he slams his face into the wall <laughs> he misses the door he misses the door right I, I, don't, I guess they're going for a good jokey moment right so then the father leaves also how lame would it be if it turns out that george lucas just got the idea for the force 
from black leather jackets, the Twilight Zone oh, episode. That's also where he got the idea for American Graffiti. <laughs> that's true. It all works. It's your only inspiration you need. Um, so, as it progresses, uh, the young lady uh, falls in love. With... She mi- yeah, she misses a bus. Right, right. So she falls in love with Scott. Scott. Let's call him Scott. Let's call him Scott already. Uh, so, yeah, she falls in love with this guy, and they go on a very romantic date uh, where she makes some reference to, like, how, oh, lucky stars or something. He's like, what? Stars are lucky? It's it's just dumb it, alien He starts talking about speak. astronomy. Yeah, he's like, I understand uh, astronomy very well and galactic uh, <laughs> spatial integrity and all this stuff. Nothing about lucky stars. You know how it goes. So then, it, like, as the episode progresses, it is him and this lady falling in love more and more. And then it basically becomes Romeo and Juliet with this young alien and the hot young daughter. And then the warring houses, yeah. the Capulets and the Montagues are an alien trio wearing black leather jackets versus the uptight father. And it's eventually revealed that with the alien trio uh, through like the big giant head from Third Rock from the Sun, like this giant eyeball appears on the TV, on the TV and one of their pieces of equipment. Right. And uh, it's explaining they're like, oh, you need to initiate plan oh man they have the worst operation invasion yeah you need to go through this and like it has like a double iris effect it looks mm-hmm. really stupid right back up real quick though sure. I just, like when scott's putting his moves on ellen yeah he has this really awesome move where they go to he's gonna take her to the library because she misses the bus but yeah. then she doesn't he doesn't drop her off anywhere near the library so well, they have to walk to, a little she bit. has to be dropped off there so they can but walk so and, that she can walk to this gazebo she likes to hang out right, in. and right. then she looks at her watch and she's like oh, i gotta get going and then he like looks at the watch and like moves the hands around <laughs> and then she looks at the watch again and she's like oh i guess i got all kinds of time uh, the clock the i just checked is move. different yeah the force powers that's a weird thing like they have the ability to move anything with their minds and they really don't do much with it no they manipulate that one guy's mind and they pin this guy up against a wall in a little bit and that's about it so anyways so the other brothers are like we've lost scott they're trying to explain to their boss space commander who like explained as well that there's also other aliens touching down all around the earth Mm -hmm. and he's like oh where's your brother and they're like oh i don't know we're just gonna have to go on without him right and so the the alien boss is also explaining that humanity is such a stupid race Mm-hmm. Uh, and the aliens are like, oh, yeah, it's just like the, all that research we did. Like, these guys totally suck. I'm totally with you. They don't listen to jazz music. They don't wear <laughs> black leather jackets. Um, and so then Scott is falling more and more in love with Ellen. And he's trying to explain to her that, like, oh, we've been studying you guys. Your planet is filled with hate, Ellen. And she's like, what do you mean your planet? And it's, of course, they eventually just reveal. Yes. He confesses that he's an alien, that he's come to exterminate humanity. But now he wants to save them. Because he didn't even know how do you know the word love? Right, right. And then he's like, well, I don't know how you can live on this planet, how you've survived, because there's all kinds of hate on this place. Right, right. And he also comes up with the angle of like, well, before I wanted to exterminate this planet, I don't now because I only absorbed your media before is kind of the the subtext. And they've never shown normal people. Like, I never knew that people existed like you Mm -hmm. that weren't just caricatures and filled with hate because theoretically they've only been studying wars and all that stuff. But they've never gotten to know an average human being. Yeah. Turns out they're pretty cool. Uh, So. Meanwhile, bacteria unit, as they're called, the bikers, they report for checking in with the giant TVI. Yeah. And so their plan is they put bacteria in all the water supplies to try and kill off humanity. It's like they got 48 hours to live. It's not going to work. 
they realize that Scott's kind of gone off the reservation, but mm-hmm. they just don't care. At this point, they're like, ah, oh, go ahead and try uh, to stop us. And then it seems like he gets a little bit too close. So then they try and like they use their force powers and like pin him up against a wall and all this stuff, right? Ellen runs home, tells her father that uh, something's wrong with Scott. He thinks he's an alien, so he calls the cops. And then it's the big reveal of the cop being like, oh, we'll take care of it. No problem here. And then he hangs up the phone and reveals that he's like swinging a pendant, which is the <laughs> logo of the black leather jacket gang. Yep. Uh, and so then the cop comes in and keeps calling him his son and explains like, hey, you need to stop doing this. We need to let this happen. Uh, and then what the hell happens? Then he- uh, Scott comes in and he's like, stop, don't do it. Don't do it. This is a terrible idea. You know, right, right. They have abort. The, uh, he, we have he, time. We can stop it. He goes. Most of these people have the capacity for love. I've seen it. They learn love from their God and teach it to their children. Yep. So the sheriff is talking to Stu about you know I know what to do with a, a guy like this. And right. then Scott runs inside and kind of breaks in the door and he's, he immediately locks eyes with the sheriff. Yeah. And it's clear that they know each other. And he's like. He's a member of the advanced unit. Yeah. And then the sheriff, like, says, don't worry. We know how to handle this. And some guys in white coats with straight jacket. Right. But it's his brothers. Yes. Uh, they grab him. And that's it. That's where the episode <laughs> ends. And Serling has the, <laughs> the great worst warning. ending. Where he just says, it's fiction. But think twice when drinking your next glass of water, everybody. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> See ya. And while you were watching these, I heard you just go like, "Jesus Christ, Twilight Zone." <laughs> was that the moment? Yeah. Okay. That's. I was waiting for like this shocking thing to happen at the end of an episode. And I guess it was just Serling telling us not to drink water without being scared, Sless. Yeah. That <laughs> the advanced unit has already got to us. So usually there's some kind of moral uh-huh. in the Twilight Zone, or kind of a call to action for humanity to right. Like, what were we supposed to have done better here? Um, attack ham radio operators a little more ferociously. Kill bikers and sheriffs. <laughs> How come they didn't have... Drink like, more Gatorade. Why couldn't they have the sheriff come and, in- and install those computer boxes instead of hiring movers? Yeah, they really could have helped out. I mean, I guess maybe they have the money because they can just make it float out of people's purses and all that crap. <laughs> I don't know how it all works. Uh, yeah, what is what is the lesson here? I guess the lesson is humanity sucks, mm-hmm. but individual humans are good and you know just like the aliens had to learn that about us we need to learn that about uh russia probably yeah that's the overall lesson right unless they're part of the advanced unit unless they're part of the advanced unit in which case yeah you're you're completely screwed don't fall in love with young ladies or don't explain who you really are to young ladies if you suspect someone of being a ham radio operator like, even if they have one of those silly license plates that uh, has their call sign, right, whatever, right, call right. the police. Oh, immediately. Or We're, the FBI. Or just Because the police aren't going to help you, as you learned. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I'm curious what you gave this. It, for having the strongest opening, once I figured out the structure, like, it was still an entertaining episode. I ended up giving this one a six. Yep. All right, good. Glad we're on the same page. All right, now we're talking. Now, now this is with Night gas. Call. Night Call, the now, episode you wanted to talk about a super long time ago. This is the episode that I watched a super long time ago, thanks to Netflix totally screwing up the space-time compi- continuum and for I, me. And I'm amazed that you haven't spilled the beans or dropped any hints about this episode. But It's because I'm respectful. You're person, very respectful, yeah. Cork. So, Unless it comes to Game of Thrones, in which case you spoil it. I'm going to reiterate. <laughs> if you're watching... Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. That's right. If you're watching this on Netflix, yeah. you need to go to like Wikipedia... 
and look at their list of the Twilight Zone episodes in order and don't right. look at the, the summaries because that gives away all kinds of crap. Right. But just look to make sure that what you're watching is the correct episode. You don't want right. to be like me. Don't be like Jeff. Don't be anyway. like me because here I am now having to describe this thing. Just suffer through Hulu. They have them in the correct order with ridiculously long commercial breaks. Yes. Okay. Go on, dude. Night here call. Here we go. Night call. We start with an old lady in bed and there's like a lightning storm outside and then the phone rings and there's nobody on the end of the phone. You can't see this right now, listeners, but I'm in a tent and uh-huh. there's a flashlight uh-huh. underneath my chin. It's positively <laughs> ghoulish. <laughs> So then nobody's there, and then the phone rings again, and she answers it, and nobody's there. So next, we see a lady comes over in a car, and she he, she's bringing groceries. For this house that's pretty run down, like the outside is, this old lady is in a wheelchair. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this is like her little assistant, which there's a lot of in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So she's calling the operator, and she's complaining about the phone, and you know, there's obviously some technical issues going on here, because she mm-hmm. keeps getting these phone calls, and nobody's there. And then she starts griping about mail, and it's sad to be alone, and the phone rings again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barbara is like the, the lady who's helping the old lady leaves. So now the old lady's all by herself. Phone rings again! And at this point, I'm like, okay, this is clearly death calling right because it's she's the same, old because it's the she's same old. lady as nothing in the dark as well right yeah and so it, it just feels exactly like a combination of long distance call mm-hmm. and nothing in the dark yeah and it's probably robert redford on the <laughs> exactly. other line so exactly you should answer this phone. yeah but the premise of an old lady being alone in a house uh-huh. spooked out it's kind of fun it's super fun yeah. except for when she picks the phone up and this time here's groaning on the other it's not Su- sexy groaning but just no. like and it's the best part is it's so quiet yeah like very, i had to like i had to turn the volume up on my tv it's like what is happening especially later on but that is the most brilliant part of this episode mm-hmm. to me is that it's just so unbelievably quiet that you're straining to hear just like she is yeah she says you know say hello hello to it and nothing yeah and then she calls the operator and of course they don't believe her right um you're never going to believe what happens next. Uh-huh. The phone rings. <laughs> she, it rings while she's drinking tea. Uh-huh. She picks up the handset and immediately just hangs up. She is tired of this nonsense. Right, right. This is before, like, perverts discovered telephones, right? Is that what's going That's on? That's right. Yeah, correct. Okay. Before they set up that separate line for perverts. And it was, like, mandated that you had to answer. Yeah. Even well, if you hung up. Well, this interesting part of this episode is that it's expressed pretty early on that like she gets a bunch of mail and like bills and she's really upset that like no one's writing her letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty subtly conveyed that she is really lonely. Yes. Uh, and so every time that she just wants to like unplug the phone or just leave it off the hook so she doesn't keep getting these weird calls, she realizes that she might get an important call from her mm-hmm. sister or somebody that she loves. And she's so unbelievably lonely, lonely that she can't help but leave the phone on the cradle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So she calls... Uh, the operator. The operator, and they said, you know, just keep it off the cradle. Well, the operator also has a weird line where they're like, oh, are you sure you aren't on the party line? She's like, of course I'm not on a party line. Yeah. What is a party line? What does that mean? I think it's when multiple people, like households, this is like an old school thing, shared the same. Oh, I see. So if you were like a super creep, you could like pick up the phone and listen to other people talking. Oh, I did that as a kid. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But that would be with strangers. It wouldn't just be right, within Right, your own right, home. right. So this time she's in bed. And uh, she, the phone is off the cradle, and she's the dial tone is making noise. So she wraps it up in a blanket. Yeah. And then 
playing. She's like, ah, puts back on the cradle. And then just seconds later, it rings again and she picks it up. So the voice says, hello. And then it says, but hang on. It's not hello. You got to, you got to pitch yeah, it. Well, I don't want to just impersonate these voices. You have to. It's no, do spook. it. Okay. You need to. Hello. Very raspberry quite hello. And she freaks out and yes. she drops it. And there's this great shot of her freaked out in bed mm-hmm. and the phone kind of swinging there. By yes. Bed. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So at this point, I'm thinking, was this like a, like a seance that's going on, right, from beyond the grave, right, or something? And then, yeah, then it's it asks, you know, where she is, and says, I want to talk to you, and it's always just this creepy little yeah. whisper, yeah. So then, she's playing cards with a friend, and then uh, her assistant, her assistant, and then the operator says uh, that they sent a man to trace the line. Right. And that they found out that there, it's a f- the fallen wire. So no one can be calling from no, there. No, because the wire's just on the ground. There's no one out there on the ground where it is because it's just a cemetery. Because <laughs> she insists on wondering where it is and it's right. a cemetery. And so at this point, because I absolutely love the episode up until this point. Yes. And like when they said it's just honest in a cemetery, I was like, that is awesome. Yep. But, but. Then I, I wrote going. my note here. I wrote, I just don't want it to be her husband. So I don't want it to be some dumb crap. You can even see I've, re- I've drawn a line yeah. right here. That's where the episode really sucks. <laughs> yes, I'm completely with you. There's a hard line here. Hard line. So anyway, they, they drive over to the cemetery and walk over, and there is the wire, and it's resting on a tombstone. Uh-huh. And it's not just any tombstone. It's Brian... Her old fiance. Her old fiance who died a week before they were to be married. Uh-huh. And it was because she insisted that they that he drive. Yeah. And then they crashed and he went through the windshield and was cut to pieces, she says. And this is how she had gotten a wheelchair. She's been in a wheelchair her entire right. life from this incident. But she insisted that he drive because she was very bossy and she was kind of a weird control freak and right. kind of commanded him around was the weird exactly. exposition that she had. Yeah. So she gets home, the f- she she picks up the phone and... She's excited. She's like, she's now excited. he's trying to reach me. Yeah, yeah. I won't be lonely anymore, she says. Yeah, and, and she picks up the phone and then he says, you said leave me alone. I always do what you say. And then she doesn't even like listen... For response, but she's like, oh, Brian, don't leave. And then just hangs up the phone herself under the assumption that, yeah, he'll just never call again. Yeah. And then Serling explains that she made her bed. Now she has to lie in it because she she was a little bit bossy in her 20s. So now she has to be lonely and formerly haunted by a loved one that she now cannot contact because. Yeah. But, I mean, she also can't contact him and he's not going to call again. Because I would imagine the phone company is going to put that wire back up. Because they said they were going to put it up like the next day anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's not the biggest loss. But still. She could like go out to the graveyard with like a tin can and like dig the string <laughs> into the ground. maybe stick her knife in the ground to prove that she's brave. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, this episode was maybe the scariest. Like, it's weird that yeah. the two scariest episodes for me are Long Distance Call and this one. Something about telephones. It is. I just I just love that idea that Twilight Zone is so good. This, the first half of this episode is so good that they can just take the basic concept of somebody calling you. Mm-hmm. Just your phone ringing, yep. and it's the most terrifying thing. And even today, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess anybody can call me. And if it's just a weird, super scary voice that sounds like it needs my help, like that is 
effing terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, and it was so quiet and so yes. freaking great. Yeah, it was so good until in, it stopped. Up until so her good. speech about oh, it's too bossy in my twenties. Oh, Brian, I love you. Yeah. It uh, it seemed like like the exact op. You know, like what was the lesson in black leather jackets? Right, right. It's kind of like oh, that's kind of a weird tale. This one right. was just like a lesson that there didn't need to be one in no. at all. No, so how would you end it? Would you want it to be your husband, or you just want it to be a, a random grave? And I would have the ended end of the episode. It, I, the, there's no one out there. It's the cemetery. Right. End. Perfect. Doesn't you don't need yeah. to know who it is. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Some dead person on the phone talking to her. Do you think he was buried in like a metal casket and like conducted well with the phone line? I think they probably buried him with one of those those uh, plastic phones with the eyeballs. That when you pull it, it <laughs> rolls up and down. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he always loved that thing. He's a huge fan, Brian. Good old Brian. Yeah. Man, what a terrifying great episode. Yeah. Uh yet. Yet. It's close to eight territory, but I give it a seven. I gave it a seven. And uh-huh. if it had ended at that last commercial break, nine. I would have given it a nine. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Yeah, it's really yeah. great. Uh so watch it. I also I watched it super late at my place last night, and I was so scared. God yeah. dang it. I'm, it was good. Uh, I, yeah. Next one. Also scary. I'm gonna, just, just out of curiosity, Please. I think what I'm going to do is I'll have my kids watch this one. Uh-huh. Because they've already seen the other phone episode. Yeah. I'll ask them which one is scarier. It's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. All the lights off. Yeah. Make sure it's super loud mm-hmm. so they can hear every word Brian says. Yep. And then I'll put my phone and i'll set an old-timey ringtone uh-huh and i'll put it under their bed they right sleep in bunk beds and then like perfect. it'll start ringing and they'll run and get you and be like hey dad the phone's ringing and you just have to make it clear like you have to answer that phone my name's brian <laughs> and then you have your wife doing that yeah as you try to console them but you realize like hey you got to talk to this guy parenting <laughs> there you go all right so next episode from agnes with love all right. Is this the <laughs> boss from Beverly Hillbillies, like the bank? Because he looks really familiar, and I think that I might be one of this. Know. Anyway, so there's a rich guy. They're working in a company, and uh, they explain that this Agnes computer is having a tough time, right? Mm-hmm. And so the main character, Jim Elwood, he explains, oh, it's probably just her subroutines need debugging. And so he's a programmer, and so he goes over to this super old-timey computer in this big old room, and the room is just chaos. It, the giant computer was just taking up a wall. like printing out all these pieces of paper. Computery and sounds. Computery sounds. Also a bunch of weird musical chimes, which Agnes, mm-hmm. the computer, constantly spits out, which we'll get back to later. But uh, there's a guy in there that has clearly just lost his mind. Mm-hmm. And he's just is screaming, Agnes, watch out for that female. Watch out for that female. As watch being, out for that femme fatale. Right, right. As he's As he's leaving the room. Uh, so that's where we're at. And so you should be warned, first of all, yeah, that when they're walking toward the computer room, yeah, like James Elwood is stereotypical nerd, big glasses, very Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. And it was not an encouraging sign when the, it's a funny episode music started. I also have that note (laughs) written down. Yeah. When it's like, oh boy, comedic music, this episode is going to be rough. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, Jim Elwood, he is now running Agnes. It is his job to take care of her. And he explains to this attractive young secretary, I think she's a secretary. She works in the same office, right? Millie. 
Millie. Yeah, she opens the door and he's trying to brag about like, oh boy, you know, this computer knows everything, but I tell it everything. You know, it's I really am kind of the genius behind this. How about we go out sometime? There's a lecture on thermodynamics tonight. Doesn't that sound like fun? And uh, she's not really too excited about it, but he keeps pushing to go on this date. Oh, and then he buys her chocolate. And she says that she's on a diet, so she can't have a chocolate. So then he walks mm-hmm. out of the out of her room, and there's there's some lady walking by in the hallway, and so he gives her the chocolate instead. He's like, "Hey, you're not on a diet, are you?" It's a big joke moment, right? Right. And she makes this big, elaborate hands on her hip swivel pose, and she goes, "Me?" Right. Wah, wah. Yeah, she wasn't like she wasn't a hefty lady or anything. No. Maybe maybe back in the '60s she was, but we should not. describe the, this computer the way that it works. Oh yeah. You ask it questions into a microphone, uh-huh. like Siri, right? And then, uh, like old school Jeopardy type answer. Yes. Like this panel opens, and then there is a like it's printed on there, but card stock with the answer. But it's super quick to the point that nothing could print out that quickly because these doors was open and close, open and close, open and close, and there's always a new saying or something. I wonder if, if we're if we're supposed to think that it's like a TV screen or something. Maybe, but yeah, they, they didn't have computer monitors back then, so it's just this abstract thing of like, well, of course the computer will just print out stock answers on mm-hmm. this uh, giant board. He asks Agnes, state the magnitude of radiated projection. Right. And then Agnes on the screen says, you have a problem. And he's like, well, I know I have a problem. And Agnes is like, the problem is Millie. And then there's kind of like this jokey, oh, you're giving me advice? And then Agnes is like, Agnes knows best. So Yeah, she says, you need to take the reckless romantic approach. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, Millie isn't like that. And then (laughs) Agnes, the computer goes, all girls, same. (laughs) I do think the computer is very funny this episode. Like everything that it said was pretty solid. Also, I should note, this episode was directed by Richard Donner. Ah. Uh, same as 20,000 feet, twenty Nightmare in 20,000 Feet. Yep, and yeah. Goonies. And a little movie called The Goonies. And a little movie called Hollywood Homicide. Hmm. And a little movie called Superman 1 and <laughs> Half of 2. There you go. All right, anyways, moving on to Millie. So he realizes that he has to take the reckless approach, so he invites Millie out. And it says champagne. Yeah. You gotta do champagne. You gotta do the champagne. And so Millie comes over for a date, and it just is terrible. But it's... It's terrible because he makes it terrible. It is clear that she is suddenly, when she takes her glasses off, yeah. all about Call Me Jim. Yeah. Like she's like snuggling on the couch next to him and like turns the lamp off and he's just nose deep in this book about Einstein. Yeah, he's trying to read about general relativity and she's like, come on, let's dance. And then they're dancing and she's like, oh, doesn't it, you got to admit, it kind of feels funny, right? And he's like, well, yes, because I stubbed my toe earlier. Yeah. And then he's like trying to shake up the champagne and he accidentally hoses her down, of course, and then she's had it and she storms out. Yeah. And so then he goes back to consulting this computer and like he builds up this relationship with the computer that is similar to like Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. and then the plant. Like it's like it eventually becomes clear that the computer is in love with James Elwood mm-hmm. and that she's trying to screw him over because Millie isn't right for him. And yeah. she knows that because she's the smartest computer in the world. So it's like advising her to give her roses and, and she's allergic to roses. <laughs> Yeah, so then he shoves the roses at the other lady again as she's walking by in the mm-hmm. hallway. Um, and then the computer recommends like, hey, why don't you uh, ask her out again? But why don't you invite that super hunky guy on the third floor who's the programmer uh, who has the sports car and the suntan? And he's like, well, okay. I don't see how that will help. Well, so, just before then, though, sure. Agnes says, well, Millie's a square. Right. And then Agnes, a better girl, likes... Uh, 
likes you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this girl likes chess. It's right. me. But right. he doesn't see that. No, he does he doesn't know what's going on yet, right? Uh so then he calls up this guy on the third floor. He's like, Hello, what are you would you like to come over for dinner tonight? Or can we go over there? And the guy's like, Oh uh, yeah, sure. And then James Elwood like covers up the phone and gets a good snicker, like hey, 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 hey. <laughs> it's a super dark. I'll just point out I like the main character a lot. I, I don't thought, know why, but I did too. Oh, it's like he that character could have been so overdone in this dumb, nerdy way. A Horace but, Ford type. Yeah, I guess so. But he was he was nerdy as he could be, but still likable. And like he is just Rick Moranis. It's just that exact same archetype, I guess, where it's a fun nerd to watch and he's mm-hmm. not grading or anything. Um at work though, we should say that the boss is like they're going over the Venus project. Right. And it like what Jim is getting paid for is to be he's supposed to go over like the flight trajectories of this spaceship. They have to orbit it six times before they land or something. And a single, an error of a single millisecond could just uh, mess everything up. So everything's very important for this computer, but the computer only wants to talk about his love life. And there's a great moment where the computer says, Venus Shmimus. Yeah. <laughs> How's Millie? <laughs> that was the exact quote. Um, and so then he brings Millie over to this hunk's house because the computer told him to and so he's prepared for this to just be a disaster the hunk opens the door immediately is in love with millie oh yeah immediately he's talking about how beautiful her eyes are and all this crap uh and the guy looks exactly like brian williams from nbc news yeah. it is exactly brian williams um and so then they end up falling in love and then he gets a call he has to go back to work and so he just leaves Millie with this weirdo. Yeah. And so then he goes back to Agnes and he's like, why'd you tell me to leave Millie with that sex fiend? <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I think, yeah, this, then the boss comes in and he's like, hey, how's the trajectory going? How are the computations? And then Agnes just starts messing with him and like opening up the flap. And it's just like this other language. And they say it's like, like two plus two is. F- well, before that, I think they make that joke about like, what is this other language? And it's like, oh, I think it's Russian. It's like, oh, Russian. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it opens up and it says like two plus two equals four. And there's like, what is going on? He's like, I've got this under control. I've got this under control. Um, and so at this point, he's pretty much insane. But a lot of it has to do with just the fact that this tiny room is just filled with the sounds of Agnes the computer, which mm-hmm. is just like this horrible music that's constantly chiming out. It's really, really obnoxious. Yeah, and then Elwood, he says that he needs Walter to help come fix Agnes now. But Walter's he, the hunky he, dude, yeah. Right, and he calls him, and they're both drunk, and they said, we'll co- come in the morning. <laughs> and then Agnes just proclaims love for, right. for uh, Jim and... He just loses his mind. He's like completely horrified by right. it. He's not in, this is not a her type situation <laughs> at all. Yeah. So he's like, he climbs into the pile of printouts so that he wraps himself up real good. <laughs> Correct. And he just starts crawling all over and turning <laughs> dials <laughs> randomly. Trying to fix Agnes, but yeah. it's no use. And so then uh, Walter comes in the next day with the boss. And of course, you realize that it's kind of like the beginning of the thing where that guy you saw in the beginning mm-hmm. was just dealing with this whole glacier of stuff that we just didn't get to see. Yes. And so this time around now, uh, our main character has lost his mind screaming, watch out for that female, watch out for that femme fatale. <laughs> and just screaming like a maniac. And then the boss just goes, he's a good man. <laughs> and then Walter now has to try and tackle the wild agnes and serling explains oh my god uh, this is one of the best closers he explains very thoroughly that if you're dealing with computers 
you should study the opposite sex too because computers are like women and you need to learn how to control those wily beasts because there's a lot of overlap there. Uh, so this episode was dumb. Yes. <laughs> but it was a well-done version of dumb. It was surprisingly competent. The computer made me laugh a couple times with its lines. It could have been so obnoxious and bad, and I don't think it was. I think it was fun throughout, as stupid as it was at the same time. I gave it a seven. Yeah, I gave it a seven as well. Oh, well, I was... thought you were going to go lower with the way you are talking about it in the beginning. No, it, it's completely absurd and stupid. Like I would, Whenever I hear the... Like the music that indicates this yeah. is going to be a funny episode. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because comedy isn't necessarily the right, like what Twilight Zone does best. Sure, but this one was like really good natured, uh-huh. and um, I think you nailed it earlier when you said that um, Elwood, his characterization was nice. Uh-huh. Um, he, if it like another actor really could have overplayed it, and I, it would have been impossible to watch. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, don't, I should have looked up and seen what that guy did after this. Maybe he really did go insane from just trying to act with the computer. Yeah. What it wasn't there acting at all, actually. <laughs> I wonder why Millie was seemingly really into him. Yeah, what changed there? I don't know. Maybe she was so impressed by Agnes and the idea of him running Agnes, but he, she knew that in the beginning, and she yeah. wasn't really into him, but just on that date. I don't know. Well, as you can tell... From this episode and uh, Salvador Ross, like girls just really like going on dates. You they offer do. a girl a date, they're over the top. Go to a gazebo. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Gosh. where kissing happens. Yeah. I wish Agnes just had a weird little port that he had to try and make out with at a certain point. Oh, my goodness. I really wish. I'm glad they resisted the idea of like trying to personify her a little bit. Yeah. By having like lights in the array of eyes. Yeah, there really wasn't and- even like a fake face or nothing yeah it was just like a weird wall and the panel i guess did enough to kind of make her relatable yeah no as any wall-sized computers should be uh all right that was a pretty solid block of episodes yeah a lot of sixes and sevens in my in my batch yeah absolutely night call blew it they really could have bumped it up yeah night call but again just stop it early all right uh join us next week no let's keep talking yeah yeah you want to keep it going night call here how do you feel like that episode went Huh? How do you feel like this episode went? This one? I feel like we got too bogged down in beat by beat crap. And I know we've had this argument 6,000 times, but I won't give it up. No. I think we were diving in too deep because it's just us reading our notes like, I think, and then, and then, and then. I think we should be more surface level. Are you going to be broadcasting this yes, section? Yes, absolutely. So what I'm saying is yes. going to make it on the podcast? Yes. Okay. I thought we were just two guys having fun right now. Nope. I like going into it. Even when it just comes down to us going beat by beat in the notes and it's just like, our faces are buried in the paper being like, God, and then I think, judging from my notes, this happened. Well, my notes are awesome. I know, so. but then there's always like, like the weird corrections where it's like, no, actually, this happened first. Oh, wait, no, that happened first. Well, that's because your notes aren't quite as good. <laughs> so. so if I have my face more buried in that crap. All right. So, all right. I'm going to go a little bit more surface level, but not to the point that it's like the two-sentence explanation like it was early on. Okay, because at that point, I'll just jump in and take over. That's totally fine. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this week of Twilight Highlight Zone. Uh, tune in next week where we'll cover the next five episodes from the fifth season of The Twilight Zone. Yes, we will. All right, thanks for listening, everybody.
Hi. <laughs> Hello. Spaceman Mac hit you with my death ray. I don't know that quote. Black leather jackets. What was it? Black leather jackets. Okay. Oh, All right. <laughs> A one, two. Yes, my mic is on. As well. Yes, my mic is on. As well. Uh, Jeff Cork. Yes, my mic is on. Ben Hansen. This yes. is a good game to, like, an icebreaker. <laughs> yes, my mic is on. I you. have two siblings. How many do you have? Only one sibling is how many I have. So, <laughs> so. I drew a picture of a saltine on my notes. How'd you get the details just right? I was eating a saltine at the time, so I could, it's like still life. So it's like a first person eating a saltine picture. You can like see the blurry picture of your nose. Yeah. All right, ready? Sometimes you're a little salty quirk. Mwah. <laughs>